0: Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 126 of The Prancing Pony Pot. You know, every once in a while, Sean, I am baffled <laughs> by that number. The fact that we've had that many episodes staggers me sometimes.
1: Uh, yeah, I totally get it. Every time I look at yeah. it, I think to myself... One hundred and something? Yeah. What? Are you kidding me? Do you remember when we first... I don't want to go too far afield with this, but no, do no. you remember when we first started out and we thought, should we add a couple of zeros to the beginning yeah. of yeah, episode one? Yeah, that was hilarious. I and thought it was thought, a little... Yeah, that's optimistic, but yeah, why not? Let's do it.
0: I remember <laughs> thinking, well, we could just name it Episode zero 01. I mean, come on, really? We're never right. going to go that far. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> With all that aside, welcome to Episode 126 of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight we learned that Barlowman Butterbur should never try to work for the post office. Well, we've known that for over three years
1: because he's been <laughs> well, managing yeah. our mailbag for that time. But uh-huh. no, truthfully, no, he's a worthy man, but his memory is like a lumber room, being wanted, always buried. Yep. But folks, we'll head back to the common room in just a moment. But first, I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, whose memory isn't honestly that much better than (laughs) Barlamin's, Alan Sisto. True. Unfortunately, though, there are no wizards around to roast me. Well, I don't think you deserve roasting yet. Yet, yeah. But we'll table that discussion for later, (laughs) because we've got a lot of show to get started here. We do this time, yeah. Yeah. Once again, folks, we're going to be starting with something a little different from our usual intro segments, and it's going Mm -hmm. to be a longer intro than usual, Yeah. but I think you'll find that it's worth it. Uh, I'll let time-traveling Alan from the past explain.
0: Well, today we're bringing you something very special. Now, a few weeks ago on Tolkien Reading Day 2019, in fact, Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, announced the J.R.R. Tolkien Fandom Oral History Collection, a new project to document an oral history of Tolkien fandom, by collecting audio testimonials from Tolkien fans. Now chances are
1: you've heard something about this somewhere before now, maybe in your social media spaces. If you have not, here's what's going on. Marquette University is looking for Tolkien fans to give audio interviews about Tolkien and what his work means to them. They've already started collecting responses, and
0: they're looking for more. Their goal is 6,000 audio interviews. (laughs) That is a mighty goal. Now these interviews are by appointment only. So we'll give you some information on how to get involved in a moment. But first, we've been fortunate enough to have the project's director, Marquette University Archivist Bill Fliss, sit down with us for a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the project.
1: So with that, let me be the first to say, Bill Fliss, welcome to the Prancing Pony Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, we are thrilled to have you join us. So thanks again for your time. So you're an archivist at the Department of Special Collections and University Archives at the Rayner Memorial Libraries at Marquette University. A few of our listeners, and by a few I mean a very few, most of them probably know all about it, but a few may not be aware of the large J.R.R. Tolkien collection that you have there. So we'd like to start our conversation there. Your archive contains the original manuscripts and multiple working drafts for The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, as well as the manuscript for Farmer Giles of Ham, the original copy of Tolkien's children's book, Mr. Bliss, and a host of secondary sources and other published and unpublished materials related to Tolkien. Would you like to tell our listeners the story about how those manuscripts came to reside at Marquette University?
2: The manuscripts are at Marquette University because of the vision of a man named William Reedy, mm. who was hired by Marquette in 1956 to be library director at a brand new library that Marquette was building. Reedy had a reputation as a manuscript hunter, as someone who could stock a academic library mm. with books and resources. and Uh, He identified J.R.R. Tolkien as someone whose manuscripts he wanted to acquire if he could. Marquette is a Catholic Jesuit university. Reedy was trying to figure out what he should collect in his archives, and he decided that he would focus on Catholic authors. And so that's that's how he identified Tolkien as a Catholic Mm -hmm. author. He was clearly familiar with The Hobbit, Uh, he read The Lord of the Rings, he hired a friend of his uh, in. England Bertram Rhoda a bookseller in London to serve as Marquette's agent and Bertram Rhoda negotiated the sale of these manuscripts that you described uh, to Marquette and yeah the connection was made in late 56 uh and the negotiations were through the spring of 1957 and the uh so the manuscripts arrived over the course of 1957 uh, and 1958. Reedy was really in the right place at the right time. He was the first person to ask, and yeah. Uh, yeah. thankfully, uh, Professor Tolkien agreed to to sell the manuscripts. So they've been here for over sixty years now. Wow! Mm. Um, and they've drawn re- researchers from all over the world. Um, Christopher Tolkien, for example, used the manuscripts here uh, for the work he did on volumes oh, six yeah. through nine right. and the first half of volume twelve of, course, of right. Middle Earth.
1: I think that's the first place I ever read about. Uh, Marquette's involvement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And we are also, uh, they've attracted scholars from all over, but we're also kind of a a pilgrimage site for, for Tolkien fans (laughs) that pass through the area as well.
0: I bet. That's great. (laughs) Well, were there any other material that I didn't get listed correctly? I want to make sure folks know what's there and available.
2: Well, we've, we've added to the collection over the years, the the manuscripts that we acquired in the fifties are really the heart of the collection, yeah. and then it expanded from there to document uh, scholarship and mm-hmm. fandom. Uh, for scholarship, we try to collect uh, most everything that's published about Tolkien each year, and so we've acquired a massive secondary collection. We offer researchers one-stop shopping for <laughs> for a lot of their research. They can they can find a lot of. Out-of-print books or hard-to-find dissertations, wow. those sorts of things, in well, our well, collection. Oh, that's fantastic. And then over the years, there was um, it also shifted into collecting fandom, and I think that began because we we began to collect and acquire a vast fanzine collection. Oh, okay. Uh, there was a robust fanzine literature that developed mm-hmm. around Tolkien starting in the early 1960s, Yeah, yeah. and we've been very fortunate to acquire uh, an enormous collection of that material. And so um, that's the historical fandom from back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but we've also been looking for ways to document more recent fandom. And in recent years, we have harvested some websites uh, and archived them. Uh, to try to capture okay. uh, fan sites, but this uh, oral history collection that I've started is really an attempt or a way to um, further document fandom today. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, anytime we have a guest on, we we like to hear a little bit about their personal story about discovering Tolkien. So at the risk of asking you a question that you might have already answered for your own oral history project... How did you first encounter J.R.R. Tolkien's work? What history did you have with his work before you started working at the archives there? And and how did you first get involved with the archives at Marquette?
2: Well, I have not yet recorded my own interview for the collection. I, I'm saving the 6,000th spot for, for my my well, interview. Yeah. That that but makes sense. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, I think you're allowed to do that.
2: I, I do plan to have the last spot in, if I live long enough to see the end of it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But I I discovered Tolkien as a child from older brothers and sisters who were fans and were reading it in school. I think my first direct exposure was probably the Rankin-Bass Hobbit Ah, mm -hmm. uh, animated film in the late 70s. Uh, And then I I later, I think I may have read The Lord of the Rings before I read The Hobbit, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was probably around 11 or so when I read The Lord of the Rings. And then... So Marillion, I read. I tried. I think I tried to read it when I was twelve and failed, <laughs> as, as many people do yeah, the first time. That's around. That's a
1: common story. Yeah,
2: but, yes, it is. Yeah, but I came back to it. I think at fourteen, I remember I was on a long. We were on a family vacation, and I was um, a long car ride, and I was reading it, and that, that's when it really clicked, and I was able to connect yeah. with it. And so I've, I've been a fan since childhood. My connection here to Marquette, though, with the Tolkien collection, is. Uh, more indirect. I came to Marquette 15 years ago, uh, but I was hired not to work with the Tolkien Collection, but with a different collection. Mm. I was hired Mm. to process the papers of a former governor from the state of Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, But I stayed here at the archives. And then when the uh, department head and at, at that time curator of the Tolkien Collection, Matt Blessing, left Marquette to become the state archivist of Wisconsin, I ended up filling in as in an interim role, and then that interim role became permanent. Wow! And now that was about six years ago. So since then, I've had the opportunity to work with the collection. It's increasingly taken up more and more of my life here at Marquette. (laughs) I'm
0: sure. I have no (laughs) doubt about that. Uh, And now, of course, you've rolled out this massive project, the J.R.R. Tolkien Fandom Oral History Collection. Tell our listeners a little bit about what the project is, how it got started, and why now?
2: Well, the project is an attempt to document fandom through brief three-minute oral histories collected from Tolkien fans. And my goal is 6,000 interviews. I chose that number because of its significance in The Lord of the Rings as the number of riders that Theoden <laughs> yes. musters and leads right. to Gondor to, to fulfill his oath and, and uh, come to the aid of Gondor. So that's how I chose that as as the goal, the number of of of, uh, interviews to collect. Um, The idea actually began at an archives conference in the spring of two thousand seventeen. I was sitting on listening to a panel on podcasting. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was a panelist, a group of archivists who were talking about their experiences attempting to uh, begin using podcasting as a form of outreach to. Inform people about the collections oh, okay. that they have yeah. and to generate okay. interest mm-hmm. in those collections. And um, I, I, one of the things I, I've noticed about uh, the Tolkien collection here uh, is that we are a, a magnet for Tolkien fans who are passing through the area. And over the years, um, I've come into contact with so many Tolkien fans who visited Marquette, and I've chatted with many of them, and I really enjoy talking to them and hearing. Their story and their connection to Tolkien. And I was sitting in this panel, listening to this panel discussion, and I thought to myself, you know, Bill, if you really want to document Tolkien fandom, you, you should start collecting the voices that you're encountering all mm, the time. Yeah. And so that idea really led to me thinking about how I might go about um, collecting some of these testimonials. Uh, and so I wanted to keep it brief so I could collect a lot of them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it would also kind of force people to be succinct and to zero in on really what's what's most important. You must have them. talked to a lot yeah. of Tolkien fans.
0: Actually, you don't have to talk to very many to figure out that they do need a little focus. We, we are a verbose bunch,
2: yeah. We can roll on. <laughs> so I started collecting the, the interviews in the summer of 2017. This was under the radar, just collecting them here and there. I was one, I was invited to be one of the keynote speakers at the Mythcon the, the annual oh, yeah. meeting of the okay. Mythopaic Society, Society right yeah in 2017 and that's and I that's while I was there I actually began to collect these a little bit uh, more of them sure okay I, that that was like the first I think public exposure to the collection and then um after that point I just kept collecting them from people I encountered asking them if they'd want to participate uh, I do pr- offer presentations of some original material periodically here at Marquette to public audiences. And so I would make a pitch to to the groups and some of the people would be interested in making arrangements to to give their interview. So I, I, I gradually gathered interviews, probably about uh, maybe 60 of them or so. And then I decided that I was really at a point where I should take this to a broader yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. public and so there was the idea of using Tolkien reading day as a launching point and that's why um the the news article came out there's a news article about the collection that came mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and then it was it uh, was talked it's been talked about on social media so that was in a way kind of the uh, the coming out party for the collection yeah, yeah since then it's it's attracted an enormous amount of interest <laughs> yeah yes, that's great has. and
1: and with good reason yeah Well, what's the end result of the project going to look like? You know, once you get your 6,000 interviews, what are you planning to do with that? Is that just something that's going to be retained for the archive? Is it going to be packaged up for the public in any way? What what are your plans there?
2: Yeah, I really struggled with the question of how to make this accessible because I knew my goal was going to be 6,000 interviews, but I asked myself, at what point do I make these these public or how do I make these public? Do I wait until all 6,000 interviews are finished or do I feed them periodically? And I actually got my, my answer, my inspiration from reading The Lord of the Rings again, reading the scene where Theoden is leading the Rohirrim to yes, Minas Tirith and right? they've arrived yeah. at the Ramas, which you'll recall yeah. is that, that outer defense wall. And uh, it's been breached in places by the forces of Sauron. It it presents kind of a problem from the Rohirrim because it's like a bottleneck for them trying to uh, ride onto the Pelennor. Mm And uh, Theoden, he gives his orders as they, when, when they're there. He says, Eomer, you, know, you lead the first Eored and it shall come behind the king's banner in the center. Yeah. And then he, he has the lieutenants, Elfhelm and Grimbold, are, you know, going, leading off to the other sides. And then he says, let, these, let, let the other companies follow these three that lead as they have, as they have chance.
0: Yes. And right. so
2: um, I thought, well, what I'll do is I will break the interviews into Eoreds of 120. And, oh, and once the first Eored is done- I'll publish that on Marquette's library website in a digital collection, which will allow people to visit and listen to the audio interviews, um, read transcripts of them if they want, and then also be able to keyword search across the the
0: transcripts. Wow, that's key. Oh, how cool. Right there. That's brilliant. Uh, Transcribing is not going to be easy, but that absolutely will make a huge difference, I'm sure.
2: Yeah. And, and having them in three minute chunks actually is is pretty quick to transcribe. That's it's not true. that It's not mm. a terribly long uh, amount of time to have to, to type out. But what I'll be doing then is every time a new AORED is complete, I get the next 120, then I will add it into the collection. So, yeah. it's, a, the, so it's kind of an ongoing muster where <laughs> the, the companies are forming. And then ultimately... Once the fiftieth AOred is complete is filled, then the collection will be will be complete at that point, yeah. Wow. S-
0: such a great Even then. I love that. The, the, those great. Those small, I say small, I put air quotes around it, but those small air ads are still going to be six hours long. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's there's going to be a,
2: a lot of wonderful material. I hope it's it's a yeah, site that, that people can drop in and listen to some of these. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: And, but I also think it's, and it's something that they can, by being able to search across the transcripts, they can,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they can try to identify kindred spirits. So, for example, yeah. if someone uh, really is taken with a character or a particular word they can, you know, search across the transcripts and see who, el- who else mentions right. the children of Hurin. And then they can, yeah. they can listen to those interviews to, to see what or hear what's been, what's been said about it. And, that's great. And that's also, fantastic. Yeah, I'm also building in a, another level to take it to the next level. And that's to offer the interviews also as data. Because one of the oh, uh, mm-hmm. big trends in academic studies right now, academic libraries, is digital humanities yeah, which is taking digital tools and applying them to traditional text sources. And so what I'll also be doing in addition to publishing the audio interview and the transcript is to provide access to the transcripts and the metadata uh, in a data set that wow. could be downloaded. Okay. Uh, and then that'll be added to over time because it, I, I can see where scholars or digital yeah. humanists might be interested in in getting at the raw data sure, and right. coding sure. it and analyzing it because each interview is is wonderful in its own way and there's some really wonderful and powerful things that have been shared. But if you think of it as an aggregate yeah. body of data, mm-hmm. you can look for and find Trends, common themes—you right. yeah. can you can analyze what words people yeah. are using to talk about. I'm already word picturing of the Rings. a word
0: cloud, and and just imagining yeah. how fascinating that's going to be to map that data out. You're
2: right. That's oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, I'm very excited at the possibilities yeah. for for scholars. Oh, yeah,
0: that that is going to be neat. Well, I know that we have a lot of listeners out there who would love to get in touch with you and be a part of this. Uh, how can Tolkien fans get involved? What's the the best way for them to reach you, find out more, and schedule an interview?
2: Okay. If the fan is in the area such that they could visit Marquette or they they expect they'll be passing through Milwaukee, uh, they could contact me directly um, at my email at Marquette to arrange a time to stop in for an on-site interview. To capture interviews remotely, what I decided to do was to use Zoom video conferencing and to set aside during my work week blocks of time when I would have slots available to receive interviews. And so I've set up through our website, a scheduling page Mm -hmm. and uh, it's proven very popular. In fact, I I had set aside 80 slots in the month of April within my work week to gather interviews. And I think all 80 slots were filled within probably about 10 hours. (laughs) Um, Just this past Wednesday, I published some, made available some more slots for the month of May. And what I think I'll do moving forward is in the middle of each month, the 15th of each month, I will open up slots for the next month. So May 15th, I'll open up the June slots. June 15th, I'll open up the July okay. slots. Okay. And uh, it's possible, I mean, this project is scalable. I could increase the number of slots. In fact, I may do that if the, the demand remains high. I guess I would, I would encourage your listeners to check out that page and if it works in their schedule to grab a slot. Um, otherwise, if it's not working out, either because all the slots have been taken or uh, the days that I've made available just doesn't work for the, the schedule, um, I would counsel them to be patient and stick with me and look for a spot down the road. Yeah. Because even even if I scale this dramatically up in terms of the number of interviews that I'm collecting, it will still take some time oh, yeah. for interviews to be collected. Yeah. And so um, there, there will be opportunities in, in coming months uh, to, to do Good. the interview. Yeah. And one, the, one last thing I would mention is that I, I will be attending different events, uh, where I may collect interviews. And so if people do plan to be at an event, they could check with me to see if I'll be there and it might just be easier to meet up at the event and do the interview there. Sure. Okay. Um, for example, in August in Birmingham, the British Tolkien Society is doing uh, Tolkien 2019. I'm planning to be there uh, and collecting interviews as part of that, that, that weekend. So if any listeners are um, in the UK or are planning to travel there, they could uh, just try to make arrangements to, to give the interview in person.
0: I think that's a great idea. And of course, we'll be there. We're going to be be recording a a live
2: episode with some of the VIP guests. Well, I look forward to to meeting you face to
0: face. Yeah, that'll be great. We're looking forward to it. If we don't get our interviews in, we know that we can get them in there. (laughs) We can (laughs) do it then.
1: All right. Well, this has all just been fantastic to hear, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best of luck with the Oral History Collection, and we hope to be able to contribute our own story soon.
2: Thank you very much. I hope you do. Absolutely. And
0: listeners, if you'd like to find out more, please check out our website and social media channels. We'll be putting a link up to the webpage of the J.R.R. Tolkien Fandom Oral History Collection, where you can schedule a time to give an interview, patiently, take your time if you can't find one right away, (laughs) hear excerpts of interviews already gathered, and find out more about the project and the collection. Once again, Bill Fliss, thank you for joining us here on the Prancing Pony Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And listeners, we now return you to the podcast in progress. And thank you, time-traveling Sean. (laughs) How are we doing on plutonium for the DeLorean, anyway? (laughs) Well, not great, but Amazon's delivering the Mr. Fusion this week, so we'll be all right. Oh, good. I'll save my banana peels. Oh, good. Well, anyway, let's finally open that letter and hear from Gandalf for the first time since the middle of Chapter 3, as we conclude Chapter 10, Strider. All right. I'm going to go ahead and pick up exactly where we left off in the last episode, uh, just as they're about to open it. Well, said Strider, when are you going to open that letter? Frodo looked carefully at the seal before he broke it. It seemed certainly to be Gandalf's. Inside, written in the wizard's strong but graceful script, was the following message. The Prancing Pony, Bree, Midyear's Day, Shire Year 1418 Dear Frodo, bad news has reached me here. I must go off at once. You had better leave Bag End soon and get out of the Shire, before the end of July at latest. I will return as soon as I can and I will follow you if I find that you are gone. Leave a message for me here, if you pass through Brie. You can trust the landlord, Butterbur. You may meet a friend of mine on the road, a man, lean, dark, tall, by some called Strider. He knows our business and will help you. Make for Rivendell. There I hope we may meet again. If I do not come, Elrond will advise you. Yours in haste, Gandalf. P.S. Do not use it again. Not for any reason whatever. Do not travel by night. P.P.S. Make sure that it is the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. P-P-P-S. I hope Butterbur sends this promptly. Worthy man, but his memory is like a lumber room. Thing wanted, always buried. If he forgets, I shall roast him. Farewell. Oh, man, that was fun. Haven't been able to do Gandalf in ages.
1: I know, and, and man, good job. <laughs> well, thank you. I like that. That was a big chunk of Gandalf dialogue. That was. You had some poetry in there. Yeah. That was a lot of fun.
0: It's good to see Gandalf's
1: character back, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You really see him. You really see Gandalf come back here. Yeah. Especially in this last postscript. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if he forgets, I shall roast him. I it's know. It's just some classic Gandalf Total stuff. Right Gandalf there. right there. By the way, nobody can pile
0: up postscripts like a wizard, right? Oh, you're I not mean, kidding. P-P-P. Well, or a Prancing Pony podcast. Well, that's true. As our patrons, some of whom are listening right now would know, we have the Prancing Pony podcast Patreon postscript. Or P5. That's five P's. That's five P's. Gandalf manages three P's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. pretty significant though, in just a single letter, I will admit.
1: Yeah. And I think this is where I first learned as a kid, the proper way to do additional postscripts. Oh yeah. Instead of PS, S, extra, yeah. instead of
0: adding S's. Right. Yeah. When you're like seven, that's what you think you're supposed to do. Yeah.
1: Because, you know, when you're seven, you, you, you write a lot of long letters with multiple postscripts. You do.
0: You You actually do. <laughs> or I did.
1: You had lots of pen pals. No, that's because I didn't
0: have any real friends. No. Uh um, Now we're all sad. <laughs> Don't be. I was teasing. All right. So let's take a look at, at what's going on here. Uh, first, to get, of course, Strider's a little encouragement. When are you going to open that letter? Let's get this done. Mm-hmm. It was sent at the end of June, right? Mid-year's day. So let's talk a little bit about the calendar. <laughs> so,
1: so it is... It is three months
0: late we gotta <laughs> yes, we gotta make is. sure that that we gotta get that out
1: of the way right now, yeah, 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 three months late <laughs> so yeah and and, and when <laughs> with that out of the way right uh I guess it is as good a time as any to talk about how Tolkien worked out the Shire calendar because mm-hmm. you know we get this mid year's day here, and but well, we don't have a mid year's day in our calendar, at least no. not one that's called that, so what's that about? Right. Well, have a look at Appendix D in Lord of the Rings, and we'll see what that is. Right. First of all, if you look at the calendar that's on the first page of that appendix, uh, you'll see that all twelve months in the Shire reckoning calendar have exactly thirty days each. Right.
0: That's right. I mean, none of this thirty days, half September, April, June, and November. All the rest have thirty-one, except for February. It's a different one. I mean, none of that. <laughs> remembers you some sort need of crazy a mnemonic, mnemonic device like
1: that? Yeah. That's right. right.
0: And, and it's better than that, too, because as Tolkien says in Appendix D, every year began on the first day of the week, which for the Shire calendar is Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so ended on the last day of the week, Friday. The Midyear's Day and in leap years, the Overleaf had no weekday name. They were just Midyear's Day and the Overleaf. Right. The Leaf before Midyear's Day was called One Leaf, and the one after was called Two Leaf. And then you got the same thing with the Yule. At the end of the year, was one Yule, and the beginning of the year was two Yule. Right. How cool is that? I mean, got to make things pretty simple. It really does, because by setting it up this way, each date always fell on the same weekday. So this episode releases on May 26th, which happens to be a Sunday. In the Shire calendar, May 26th would always fall on a Friday, but it'll always Mm -hmm. fall on a Friday. You never had to think, oh, that was on a Tuesday last year. Yule was always a Friday and Saturday. Midyear's Day was an extra day that didn't even have a weekday name associated with it. Okay, that's a little confusing. But it was consistent. And it's
1: it would be confusing, I guess, you know,
0: initially what, if you're trying to figure out what time the
1: bank opens or something, well, but it's yeah. a holiday, so you're not going to really have to do anything. That's right? true. So yeah,
0: Midyear's Day, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really cool stuff, and and I love that that appendix about the calendar. It's always been one mm-hmm. of my favorites. It's so that's also the same one where you get the cool stuff about the days of the week and the, the names of the yeah. days of the week in uh, in Elvish and in, in Hobbitish, and and that's really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked about the leaf before Midyear's Day and the one after Midyear's Day. Right. So just to be really clear, this Midyear's Day, which is also called Midsummer or Leaf in the prologue, uh, was the midmost of three days, right in the middle of the year. Right. The right. Three Leaf days. So after
0: the sixth month, there was. One leaf, mid-year's day, Mm two-leaf, and then the seventh month began. Right.
1: Right. But there was also a leap day added every four years called the Overleaf, Uh which was pretty special too. Tolkien says that that was a day of special holiday, but it did not occur in any of the years important to the history of the Great Ring. It occurred in 1420, the year of the famous harvest and wonderful summer. Uh, And the merrymaking in that year is said to have been the greatest in memory or record. I love that. By the way... All of the names that Tolkien gives to the months uh-huh. in the Shire calendar, if you if you look at this in the appendix, uh-huh. um, there's you know things like foreleth and afterleth for the months before and after Midyear's Day. Right. You've got four Yule and after Yule. Uh, all of those month names, including my personal favorite Winterfilth, which Ooh, roughly Winterfilth. corresponds to October. Right. <laughs> uh, all of those month names are actually based on the real Anglo-Saxon calendar. Oh which was wow. recorded by, yeah. yeah, isn't that cool? And that it's is. actually recorded by a medieval scholar named the Venerable Bede oh, in yeah. a work called, yeah, a really the famous Venerable name. Bede. of course, know, yeah. Of course, yeah. He wrote a work called On the Reckoning of Time, De Temporum Ratione, mm. and uh, yeah, he's got all these calendars in there, and one of them is the Anglo-Saxon calendar. So that's where Tolkien got those very interesting names from.
0: Man, that's wonderful stuff. Not surprising. Though it's interesting that he gave those dates or those month names to the Shire and not to, let's say, Rohan. Just but when would he have had a chance that to bring true. up the Rohiric calendar? So.
1: I bet if I, I mean I bet if he had created yeah. the Rohiric calendar, he probably would have, and then he would have, have had to read
0: so read the the uh, the Shire calendar. Yeah, well, yeah. he might
1: have made them. He might have made them more Old English because you know he
0: did that's as true. he
1: usually did. He kind of changed the spellings and things like yeah. that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. So going back to the date that this fell, which is really, you know, after the end of June, but before the beginning of July, which is kind of hard to, to understand, wrap your head around. <laughs> right. It's after June, before July. I know. It is, right. It's what? a hard concept uh, for us to wrap our heads don't around. I get that. So it was just right. after Gandalf left the Shire, but of course it was before his capture by Saruman. So mm-hmm. interestingly, though, he tells them basically leave no later than a month from now. <clears throat> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, barlaman.
1: As long as we leave two months ago, we're fine.
0: Yeah, we should have left by July thirtieth, but you know we left on September twenty third. That's okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> good old Barliman. Yeah. Good old Barliman. <laughs> good old Barliman. I thought it was a little odd that Gandalf, who is usually pretty sure of himself, says, "If I do not come, Elrond will advise you." Yeah, that's a sign that you know he knows something. He up. knows
1: things are there's yeah, some exactly. risk,
0: and we'll get he to more of that some later, significant but, risk. yeah. yeah. Also, interesting that he doesn't mention the ring by name. He just says, do not use it again. And it is capitalized. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, he's leaving oh, this yeah. letter with Barlam and he doesn't right. know who might get their hands on it.
0: Yeah. He doesn't so, want Barlam to know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Or anybody else. What if something happens to Barlam? Mm. What if the Black Riders get their hands on this this letter? What if Knob gets his hands on it? <laughs> Anyways.
0: <sorry. laughs> we don't want that. No, no. Even in his slow pate, he might figure something out. Right. And then right after
1: the admonition not to use the ring
0: again or Uh it
1: again, he says, don't travel by night.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of gives us a glance forward to the next chapter. You know, Aragorn tells the Hobbits that the Black Riders, quote, do not see the world of light as we do, but our shapes cast shadows in their minds, which only the noon sun destroys. Mm. And in the dark, they perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us. Then they are most to be feared. Right. And I'm also thinking of letter number two ten.
1: That's the letter on the infamous Zimmerman script treatment. In, oh yes. In which Tolkien said that the peril of the black writers is almost entirely due to the unreasoning fear which they inspire. They have no great physical power against the fearless, but what they have and the fear that they inspire is enormously increased in darkness. Mm. And that and that emphasis in darkness, that that emphasis was Tolkien's. That's not me. Oh, yeah. that. He's he said that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. He he italicized that. Right. It's the darkness that's important. And that's uh, that's exactly why Gandalf's mm-hmm. telling him, Don't travel by night. But he doesn't tell him, Don't right. travel by night, because the black riders from Mordor might might get you. You know, he's just No, again. He doesn't need to. He doesn't want to He
1: doesn't need to, and you don't want to yeah. put more information in this letter than you absolutely have to.
0: Loose lips sink ships, man.
1: Yeah. And then of course we get
0: the wonderful, wonderful poem.
1: Mm. I love this. Is there there a Tolkien fan around who does not love this poem?
0: Is there a Tolkien fan around who doesn't know this poem practically verbatim? Right. It's so (laughs) well known. I do like that he he leads with the fact that his true name is Aragorn. And that's important. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But in the meantime, just a little bit of word nerdery about one of everybody's favorite phrases, all that is gold does not glitter. Now, this, of course, is a reversal of the well-known phrase, all that glitters is not gold. So what about that phrase? Well, you're going to often hear Shakespeare as the source of it, and it, it is perhaps the most well-known source. In 1596, the Merchant of Venice included the line, all that glisters is not gold, though you'll see it as glitters, not glisters in modern renditions. Right, and so as you said, that is probably the best-known
1: source, but yeah. not surprisingly, this concept inherent in it of shiny things not always being valuable, that actually goes back much farther oh, than yeah,
0: that.
1: Geoffrey yeah. Chaucer in 1380 in one of his earlier poems said that and I'm, I'm going to do some Middle English here. Oh, I apologize in advance. <laughs> he, said, he said that it is not all gold that gloudeth. Okay. There's also a 12th century, even earlier than that, a 12th century French theologian, Alain Lille, who wrote, and I'm not going to do this one in French, but the no, translation please. is, do not hold everything gold that shines like gold. Oh, I like that one. Hammond and Skull point out yet another Chaucer quote, and this comes from the canon's yeoman's tale in Canterbury Tales. Yeah. More Middle English. I apologize. Oh, good. But all thing which that sheeneth as the gold, nis not gold, as that he have heard told. Oh, now that's wonderful.
0: I love that. We need to include more Middle English just so I can hear that. (laughs) Thank you. I'll do it every time you make me. (laughs) (laughs) Twist my arm. Twist my arm. Don't throw me in the briar patch. So exactly. the meaning of the proverb, of course, is, is fairly clear. The attractive thing is not always as valuable as it may first appear to be. But that's what makes Tolkien's reversal of the proverb sheer brilliance. I mean, here, the proverb means that the unattractive thing may, in fact, right. be highly valuable. Right. He's turning it around. Yeah, exactly. The thing that does not glitter may, in fact, be gold. What a great verse as it's applied to Strider at this very moment. Yeah. Yeah perfectly applicable
1: because here is a guy that certainly does not glitter he certainly doesn't no. look pretty he doesn't he doesn't look like much
0: but no man he is gold and he is old right the old that is strong does not wither so we understand yeah. that he's you know we already know that he's older than he looks he said that yeah some of the rest of the stuff is addressing things that we'll get to later yeah, the, right yeah the first
1: the first four lines are sort of the current state. They're describing him as he is now. Yeah. And then the second four lines are are the the, you know, sort of the future, the pro- yeah.
0: prophecy. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: We also need to point out there was, uh, there was also a counterpoint to uh, All That Is Gold does Not Glitter mm-hmm. presented by a Mr. Page and a Mr. Plant in 1971. Oh, yes, there was. Who wrote, <laughs> there's a lady who's sure all that glitters
0: is gold. Yes. And she's buying, buying a stairway, a stairway, to, stairway heaven. to heaven. Yeah. Right.
1: So <laughs> don't forget that.
0: <laughs> I, you know it, it, the irony is i literally listened to that song this morning as i was taking my son to school <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i mean it just was up on my classic rock playlist and there it was that is totally awesome. I, I, I thought of that I, I thought well there you go i mean i know led zeppelin were you know, <laughs> inspired by some of the tolkien stuff so oh to to say the least to yeah. say the least right one of the more well-known bands to ever have been inspired so right uh, yeah
1: and i think I, I mean obviously i was familiar with and, well, I mean, obviously, but for me, I was familiar with Stairway to Heaven before I was, read Lord of the Rings. And when oh, I yeah. first read this, I thought, whoa, it's just like Stairway to Heaven, man. And i <laughs> sure I went and told several of my teenage friends how excited I was. Did you ends. like throw the horns and comb your mullet? And <laughs> 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 I did not
0: have the mullet, but I probably did throw the horns. There you go. All right. Well, before we get too sidetracked by that. (laughs) Oh, I will say this just in case in case Frodo wasn't sure that this was really Gandalf. I mean, I know he said, hey, it's Gandalf's script. Uh, Certainly seems to be his message. We've got his rune, which we'll talk about shortly. But certainly this last little note about Butterbur. Clearly, this is Gandalf. It's his tone. It's his. Totally. It's absolutely, it sounds like. If Gandalf. he
1: forgets, I shall roast him. You could not mistake
0: that <laughs> for anybody yeah. else. That Gee, is totally I don't know Gandalf. Who else would say that? Yeah, just Gandalf. But talk to us a little right. bit about that rune. What, uh, when you're looking at your book and you see that vertical line and the, the two diagonals and the, the little dots. Two little diagonal lines coming. Yeah, you've seen it now, what, four
1: times in yeah. this letter. Yeah. And uh, if you're not sure what that is, check Appendix E. Where you'll find out that it's the Careth or the Elvish rune for G, so it's just Gandalf's initial. Mm. Oh, that's easy. that's all you got. Yeah. And I that's thought it. you were going to be able, able to go to on
0: and on. I could, but no, I'm not. <laughs> no, going no, to. that's okay. We have a long episode. <laughs> not... I mean, we're already yeah, exactly. You know, we we had a 20 minute intro segment, which is a little long. Right, than usual. exactly. I'm so. trying to keep it trying to keep it succinct, keep it pithy. All right. Yeah. So, I've got you reading the next little bit about the reactions that we see. So, you know, we've, we've now gotten the letter. What, what does Frodo think, and, and how do each of them respond?
1: Okay. Frodo read the letter to himself, and then passed it to Pippin and Sam. Really, old Butterbur has made a mess of things, he said. He deserves roasting. If I had got this at once, we might all have been safe in Rivendell by now. But what can have happened to Gandalf? He writes as if he was going into great danger. He has been doing that for many years said Strider. Frodo turned and looked at him thoughtfully, wondering about Gandalf's second postscript. Why didn't you tell me that you were Gandalf's friend at once, he asked. It would have saved time. Would it? Would any of you have believed me till now? said Strider. I knew nothing of this letter. For all I knew I had to persuade you to trust me without proofs if I was to help you. In any case, I did not intend to tell you all about myself at once. I had to study you first. And make sure of you. The enemy has set traps for me before now. As soon as I had made up my mind, I was ready to tell you whatever you asked. But I must admit, he added with a queer laugh, that I hoped he would take to me for my own sake. A hunted man sometimes wearies of distrust and longs for friendship. But there, I believe my looks are against me.
0: I know how he feels. My looks are against me often. <laughs>
1: That's why we do an audio podcast. That's right.
0: Man. Faces for radio, folks. Nobody can hold our looks against us. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Holding things against me. The only time I can, the only thing I ever think of when somebody says that is, Would you hold it against me? If I said you had me? the beautiful body, would you <laughs> hold it against me?
1: I am no longer infected. I am no longer infected.
0: <laughs> yep. I know. Oh, Every man. single time. Yeah, an episode is not an episode until some Python <laughs> show or movie has exactly. been quoted at least once. Exactly. Uh, you know two things to note before we get on to the discussion of this passage. First was that bit about Gandalf going into danger. Second, I thought this was really key because it's it's mentioned and it, it comes into relevance later. Frodo wonders about the second postscript. So let's look at that second postscript. It was make sure that it is the real strider there are many strange men on the roads his true name is Aragorn. Mm. That's going to be important here in a little bit. Because yes, keep in mind is. Strider has not seen the letter. He now knows about mm-hmm. it and he knows some of what's in it based on what Frodo has said, but he doesn't know that yet. And that's important. Right. He doesn't know that his true name is is mentioned in the letter, does he? He doesn't even know that the verse has been mentioned yet, but that will will come in too. So his reaction's great, right? He knows, he's got this kind of twofold reaction. First, he had to try to persuade the hobbits without evidence because he didn't know Mm -hmm. that Gandalf had written this letter. But interestingly, something that I don't think anybody thought of until this moment when he mentions it, is that he had to make sure the hobbits weren't a trap.
1: And that's, that's really important, that yeah. he needs to know that he can trust them as much as they need to know that
0: they can trust him. Knowing who they're he testing, is. They're testing each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's, the, the hobbits can't even imagine that being relevant. And, right. and us as readers, if, if we're first-time readers, we don't even see that. But as readers no, who really understand the who viewpoint. Is, Right, yeah. exactly. But as readers who know who Strider is, of mm-hmm. course he has to make sure. Right. He would be foolish to speak openly to anybody that he hadn't
1: fully vetted. Yeah. 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 It's one of those, this is one of those chapters that I think really is different on the first reading. Isn't it? Than yeah. on subsequent readings. You know, we, we talk every once in a while, I think, you know, we've talked with like folks like Verlin Flieger and things like that about how you can only read them for the first time once. Once. Yeah. And, Boy, and how so different true. it is, you know, because we do tend to read it over and over again. And it's, mm-hmm. you never recapture that first, that first reading. And this is a chapter, isn't it? That it's just, there's so much that you don't know about Strider. Yeah. And uh, subsequent readings really do change it, especially once you know everything that you know about who he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we read this now and we see he's, he's the king. He's Aragorn, right. son of Arathorn. You know, yeah. it's, we know this guy, we love this guy, but yeah, first time you read this, think back to wow, what you didn't know about this character and, and, and the peril that was, Mm-hmm. You really felt
0: that peril with the hobbits when, yeah. well, especially in a moment we're going to get to in a little bit, but uh, yeah. I, I also liked his, his genuine, you know, hurt really about not being accepted at face value. This comes back to something we talked about last week. Yeah. You know, how he just wishes that people would take him at his word, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, that's
1: really cool. There's a, there's a nice little vulnerability there. You know, he's, yeah. this is book Aragorn and he's very, he's very strong. He's very haughty. He doesn't have that uncertainty about himself right, that we sometimes right. see like with you know movie aragorn the lack of confidence still, and yeah yeah right still you know he's he's human and it's like man i just i just want people to trust me sometimes yeah
0: <laughs> you know on my own for my own on my on, own on merit, my own word and my on my own, own merits sake. right exactly yeah and longs for friendship i like yeah. that too yeah you know? of course he does he's on the road all the time every place he is he's a stranger He's an outsider here in Bree. Mm-hmm. How does Barlaman put it again? No accounting for East and West. Right. Meaning yeah. the Rangers and Meaning and the Rangers Shire and the Shire folk. folk. Yeah. That's tough being lumped in with those hobbits, man. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. That's that, <laughs> And I'm sure that's how he's treated everywhere, right? As this outsider, as this. I'd be willing to
1: bet he's treated worse in a lot of places. Oh, I'm I mean, sure. You know, much worse. For yeah. as, as poorly he's, as he's treated in Bree, Bree is a pretty cosmopolitan place. And yeah. they get a lot of weird people from all over the place. True. But maybe other places he goes, you, maybe. you gotta wonder.
0: Yeah. So we're not gonna read that, but boy, I do love Pippin's uh, attempt to do what he always does, which is inject his trademark humor. The, the comedy makes about uh, <laughs> disarm the situation, yeah, the joke, about yeah. lying <laughs> in hedges and ditches. Uh, but Strider's yeah. response totally misses the humor. If he wants a friend, this is not it. <laughs> this is, I need to teach him. This is not how you act when somebody's trying to be funny. You laugh at You're with not them. tough enough. Yeah. That's right. He basically says you can't handle the truth. I mean, it's yeah, it's a pretty
1: harsh response. Isn't that cool? Because you talk about that, and I'm thinking back to one of my favorite moments from later on. I think it's from the Houses of Healing when uh-huh. Mary makes a joke, and oh,
2: yeah, Aragorn comes
1: back with a with a joke, and you know, and Mary says something to the effect of, "You know, that's that's just the way we hobbits are. We like yeah. to make jokes in situations like this." And, and Aragorn says, "I know. Otherwise, I wouldn't do the same thing." Right. So you really see that change in Aragorn here. He kind of. He can't get yeah, on he board get with that. the Hobbit joke. He's yeah. not—he's not plugged into the Hobbit humor, or no. he's just been on the run for so long that he's just not
0: good at relating to people right now. Especially sarcastic humor like that, right? Yeah, right. But later on, he's—he's he's totally different. I remember that line. I'll—I'll have—we'll have to look it up because, of course, I don't remember the exact circumstances. But I remember even mentioning it. I think in one of my Book Week posts. So I, I know where I can find it. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, of course, Sam. Sam is still suspicious. You never mentioned Gandalf to the letter. You might be a spy, a spy. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could have killed the real Strider and taken his place. And he
1: really thinks he's figured it out. He's like, "Oh you yeah. might, what, do you, what have you to say to that? That's know? right. What have
0: you to say to that? I, I'm, I'm certain. Check that, and mate, sir. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Check <laughs> and mate. And I'm going to read Aragorn's response. It's just a short bit, but it is very potent. It's filled with a lot of interesting stuff that we're going to talk about. If I had killed the real Strider, I could kill you, and I should have killed you already without so much talk. If I was after the ring, I could have it now. He stood up and seemed suddenly to grow taller. In his eyes gleamed a light, keen and commanding. Throwing back his cloak, he laid his hand on the hilt of a sword that had hung concealed by his side. They did not dare to move. Sam sat wide-mouthed, staring at him dumbly. But I am the real Strider, fortunately, he said, looking down at them with his face softened by a sudden smile. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and if by life or death I can save you, I will. Hm. What a moment.
1: And he's used that name
0: that he doesn't know that Gandalf That's exactly in right. the letter. That's exactly yep. right. That's exactly right. That seals it. Mm-hmm. We'll see that when you pick up the next line, but that seals it for Frodo. He mentions the name Aragorn that Gandalf had included in the letter right. that was not mentioned out loud. You know, Sam made the point, you know, you'd never mention Gandalf until we read this letter from Gandalf. And I'm sure in his mind, Frodo's thinking there is that possibility, but then he mentions his real name. Right. And that shows- And that's the proof. It is. But it also shows, you know, how we talked about how he has to find that he can trust the hobbits just as mm, much as he has right. to get the hobbits to trust him. Here he is expressing that trust before he gets
1: their trust. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. He has made up his mind to trust them.
0: He's revealing his true identity to them. Which is hugely important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good catch. Uh, I think it's also interesting to note that obviously Bree they allow open carry and concealed carry, apparently. Apparently. He'd hung it concealed by his side, so.
1: Right. But then he shows it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So let's talk about why he decides to suddenly mm-hmm. reveal the hilt of the sword that's there.
0: Yeah. Or why he decides to stand up and say, if I was after the ring, I could have it now.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, right, so um, the reason that he does this at this point, simply put, he has a moment of temptation to take the ring and it, it passes almost immediately. And Sean, I think you've got a quote from Paul Coker's Master of Middle Earth uh, that touches on this.
1: Yeah. In our last episode, we quoted from that book, which, you know, you mentioned is one that it, it's kind of overlooked a lot these days mm-hmm. because it did come out before the Silmarillion. And yeah. so there's been a, a lot of scholarship that sort of superseded a bit more it, yeah. updated. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Superseded and it's just a little bit more up to date. Mm-hmm. But there's some really great stuff in that book. He's got a whole chapter on Aragorn. Yeah. And he talks quite a bit about this scene. And I'm going to read a little bit from that. Okay. Coker notes that Aragorn could easily take the ring from the hobbits by force or fraud and use its magic to win his long-sought throne, and with it the maiden he loves, has not failed to cross his mind. Like every other leader of the West, he is given one fateful chance to yield to its temptation. But he
0: conquers it and is never bothered by it again. That's right. And we'll talk more about that later. We have a great question in the mailbag that we'll really get to explore. So we'll... Yeah. You, you want to talk about that some more? Stick around, because we've probably got about ten minutes to talk about that later.
1: We've got we've got some really good stuff on that later, but I, I would just say for now, you know, to paraphrase a line from the same rush song that gave us the title to our last episode, <laughs> he's noble enough to know what's right and strong
0: enough to choose it. There you go. <laughs> so the threat of the sword, I love this because of course we know, those of us who've read it before know full well that he can put his hand on the hilt to that thing, but he's not going to do much more. Right. Exactly. But the hobbits don't know that. Hobbits don't know that. First reading,
1: we don't know that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there's the line, the, the closing line here, that in the movie comes at a, a powerful moment. But I love it right here because of what we just talked about earlier, that it shows, it shows Aragorn is expressing trust in the hobbits before he gets their trust. He's willing to mm-hmm. reveal his identity, which is huge. Yeah, uh, And that... He doesn't realize it, but that's going to absolutely seal the deal as we're going to see Mm -hmm. here in the passage that you're going to read next.
1: Yep. There was a long silence. At last, Frodo spoke with hesitation. I believed that you were a friend before the letter came, he said. Or at least I wished you. You have frightened me several times tonight, but never in the way that servants of the enemy would, or so I imagine. I think one of his spies would, well, seem fairer and feel fouler if you understand. I see, laughed Strider. I look foul and feel fair, is that it? All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. Did the verses apply to you then? Asked Frodo. I could not make out what they were about. But how did you know that they were in Gandalf's letter if you have never seen it? I did not know, he answered. But I am Aragorn, and those verses go with that name. He drew out his sword and they saw that the blade was indeed broken a foot below the hilt. Not much use is it, Sam, said Strider, but the time is near when it shall be forged anew. Sam said nothing. Well, said Strider, with Sam's permission we will call that settled. Strider shall be your guide, and now I think it
0: is time you went to bed and took what rest you can. We shall have a rough road tomorrow. Indeed, we are going to have a rough road tomorrow, uh, as we'll see. Mm-hmm. Probably good advice. Get get some sleep, get some rest while you can. Yeah. I really love the way he treats Sam there, with Sam's permission. I mean, I, it's kind of an assumptive close. It's not like he said, Sam, do we have your permission? But he's—, he's, do you, think he's you don't think he's being a little sarcastic there? I don't think so. I think he's saying, mm-hmm. now that Sam's okay with it— maybe. I really maybe. do. I don't know. I don't know.
1: I, as I was just now reading it, I was thinking to myself, "This is kind of a sarcastic comment." Well, with Sam's permission, we'll call that settled. I mean, it's not malicious or anything. No, but
0: maybe a little bit I tongue think in cheek. But it's uh... a
1: bit of snark, I think. But I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah, I guess it could. I'm not sure. I mean, I I like the idea that he's being sincere and yeah. that he really wants to. You know, he really wants. Sam on his side.
0: Yeah, he knows that Frodo approves of him now, but he wants, he wants right. Sam to approve of him too. You know, he really, I think he wants all four of them to trust him. Yeah. And he's going to need them to trust him because he's going to be leading them into some, some pretty difficult situations. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, we get that famous look, foul, feel, fair line. One of Frodo's most famous lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And such a, it's, it's a cool line. It, you know, it's a great, little bit of that uh, Shakespearean homage. Mm, yeah, isn't a little it, bit. Uh, from Macbeth, the, yeah. uh, Fair is foul and foul is fair. Yeah, I think so. That's one I have not researched. It might even be older than that. Oh, I'm sure it is. I, I love the the little bit of the little bit of wordplay there um, mm-hmm. in that inversion. Yeah. And the fact that Strider uses it as, as a chance to to bring up this this verse from the poem that again he does not know. He knows there. Right. The Hobbits know. Yeah.
0: And then of course he reminds them that the verses go with the name and draws out the sword. And that's where I want to pick up something that Hammond and Skull mention. Uh, they remind us of the similarity of this broken sword motif with one of Tolkien's favorite childhood stories, and that would be Andrew Lang's retelling of the story of Sigurd in the Red Fairy book. Oh, yeah. Okay. In that tale, Odin gives the sword Graham to Sigmund. Uh, it is shattered by Odin, ironically, uh, and his son Sigurd gets the shards. Now, it's reforged for him later, and he eventually slays the dragon Fafnir with it. Mm-hmm. Now, Aragorn may not kill any dragons, but the shards of a famous sword being reforged for its bearer's descendant, well, certainly has some origins here. That's right. Yep. Not that we're surprised. I mean, so many things. Again, we don't want to look too closely at the bones, right? But it's good to know. Uh, I think when we know the bones, it makes the soup a little bit richer. It's,
1: I, that's very well said. I like that. Yeah. It's, you don't want to look for meaning in the bones. But no, it's, it's, no. Always, it's always fun to, to look at the bones and, right. and just kind of understand some of those sources. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I agree. So Strider's advice, get the rest you can. So he mentions Weathertop, and he talks about how it's halfway between Bree and Rivendell, but it's, it's actually more like halfway to the last bridge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They take seven days to get from Bree to Weathertop, and seven days from Weathertop to the bridge. Granted, at that point, Frodo's hurt, so it's a little slower pace. Then another seven days from the bridge to Rivendell. Christopher Tolkien addressed this inconsistency, though. He said that it is now seen that Aragorn's words about halfway from here to Rivendell they go back to Trotter's words here. And at this stage, the River Horwell and the last bridge on the East Road did not yet exist. I think that Trotter was merely giving Fulco, and that would be Sam in the current version, a rough but sufficient idea of the distances before them. So a little uh, hat tip to Hammond and Skull, as usual, for pointing out that clarification from Christopher. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, no problem. It's one of those things where I'm like, really? Halfway? I didn't think so. But, you know. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't, always look at the maps. I should look at the maps more often. I love maps and I look at them, but I don't look at them when I'm reading the story. Does that make sense? I like look at the maps themselves as a piece of art or as it
1: does make perfect sense. Again, considering how many times you've read this story and you know you don't really need the map to get a sense of where they're going and how far they're traveling. You've got all that in your head. Yeah.
0: And that's another thing that I think changes when you've read this story as much as we have. That's true. But I think maybe it'd be a good idea for me to maybe leave Karen Fonstad's atlas open. When I'm reading. Yeah. That would be yeah, helpful. It's a good idea. Uh, I haven't done that. I, I've read that book as a separate work, but not as a companion.
1: Well, and it's a fun book to just Isn't look it? through. And I just, love that And just book.
0: look at the art and yeah. We'll have to remember, I know we've included it in our library. We'll have to include a, a link to it in our show notes just because it is a fantastic resource. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick up a little bit after that here where, where Frodo is expressing some concern about Gandalf. When did you last see Gandalf? asked Frodo. Do you know where he is or what he is doing? Strider looked grave. I do not know, he said. I came west with him in the spring. I have often kept watch on the borders of the Shire in the last few years, when he was busy elsewhere. He seldom left it unguarded. We last met on the 1st of May at Sarn Ford, down the Brandywine. He told me that his business with you had gone well and that you would be starting for Rivendell in the last week of September. As I knew he was at your side, I went away on a journey of my own, and that has proved ill, for plainly some news reached him, and I was not at hand to help. I am troubled, for the first time since I have known him. He should have had messages, even if he could not come himself. When I returned many days ago, I heard the ill news. The tidings had gone far and wide that Gandalf was missing, and the horsemen had been seen. It was the elven folk of Gildor that told me this, and later they told me that you had left your home, but there was no news of your leaving Buckland. I've been watching the East Road anxiously. Do you think the Black Riders have anything to do with it? With Gandalf's absence, I mean, asked Frodo. I do not know of anything else that could have hindered him except the enemy himself, said Strider. But do not give up hope. Gandalf is greater than you Shire folk, know. As a rule, you can only see his jokes and toys. But this business of ours will be his greatest task. Yes, it will.
1: Yes. By the way, absolutely.
0: you need to know how much self-control it took me not to break Aragorn's character when I said it was the elven folk of Gildor that told me this, instead of saying the elven folk of Gilder <laughs> <laughs> and drop into my, uh, <laughs> as, as opposed to <laughs> yeah, into your Humperdink voice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have a wife to murder. <laughs> glad, to I'm glad girl. you didn't. No, it, would, yeah, it just didn't, didn't fit. I, I couldn't do it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. This is really serious stuff. I mean, Aragorn is, he looked grave. He looks grave, yeah, because this is you know, serious. Gandalf is
1: missing, and he's
0: this is not good. This is bad news. Yeah, nobody nobody should be able to stop Gandalf. Nobody should be able to hinder him. Right. Uh, and and to know that he is missing, and there's not even a message from him, right? That's that's a worrisome thing, especially knowing that the riders are out. Yeah,
1: that is very troubling. And I, I like Aragorn's little comment here that nothing else other than the Black Riders that he knows of. Could have hindered yeah. him, except for the enemy himself. Of course, we know there is somebody else out there, there that is. hindered
0: Gandalf—an enemy. Um, <laughs> it's not the other enemy.
1: enemy, yes, yeah. an enemy. Yeah, I mean that's that's big, and and I love this this last comment. But as a rule, you can only see his jokes and toys. You know, mm-hmm. he's there's a lot more to Gandalf than the hobbits realize. He's not. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: If I can borrow a movie line, he's not just some conjurer of cheap tricks. <laughs>
0: you know. No, that's a good point, and in a way. It's the same thing as, as himself, Aragorn. You know, it, he's saying there's there's <laughs> more true. to me than you know, but there's a lot more to Gandalf true. than you know. That's true. Uh, yep. And then that that very last line, that this business of ours will be his greatest task. He knows what's going on. He knows what has to happen and what's going to have to be done. And for him, yeah. he knows he's going to have to play a role in it somehow. Right. I'm certain of that. Well, and we know because, you know, we've
1: read The Silmarillion and mm-hmm. folks who've listened to the podcast know, I mean, this, this is what Gandalf was sent
0: for. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: This is his this truly is his greatest task. This is his mission. This is why he's in Middle Earth.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit, though, about the meeting. Strider says something about uh, the last time I saw him uh, was on the 1st of May at Sarnford down the Brandywine. You've got a bit on that, huh?
1: Yes. Yeah, Sarn Ford is a stone ford on the Brandywine. It's uh, it's way down in the south. It's actually the southernmost border of the Shire. I'm going to refer folks to either the map in your book or the maps at loaderproject.com oh, again, because
0: yeah. you can Another good
1: map really see it nicely there. There's a road that begins in Mitchell Delving that crosses the ford in the south of the Shire and then eventually joins with the Greenway a bit further south. Now, in the nomenclature of The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien says that the name Sarn-Ford is a half-translation of Sarn-Athrod, stony ford, a process frequent in place names. The Cinderid word Sarn meant stony as a noun, a stony place, mm-hmm. an outcrop of rock in softer ground or in a riverbed. Tolkien goes on to mention that it was named by the Numenorians after a ford in the River Gellion
0: in the Lost Land of Beleriand, famous in legend. Now that ford would be Sarn-Athrod, athrod meaning ford in Sindarin. That's the location mm-hmm. where the dwarf road from Belagost, not Belagost, just to remind you from first season. From <laughs> Belagost to Nog and, no- and <laughs> I almost said Nograd. <laughs> no so from, from Belagost to Nagrad crossed the river Gelian into East Beleriand. Now that right. also happens to be where Baron and his host attacked the dwarves who had taken the Noglimir from Thingol. Now Baron himself slew the Lord of Nagrod and took back the necklace. Right there That's at right. Sarnathrod. That's Sarnathra. Yeah. The original Yeah, the Sarnathra, original Sarnathra, right. not uh, Sarnford. Not Sarnford. Yeah. <laughs> right. This one's just a little further west, Un- right. under, the, under the waves over there. It's under the waves. Now. Not much of a fort it. No, not much of a ford at all. You're right. <laughs> oh, goodness. More of, more of an under-ocean pathway, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> With a little yep. pathway down the middle. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh, so you get the bi-level it. That's right. Let's see. I think we've covered all of that stuff there. We don't read the next paragraph, but of course, Pippin wonders where Mary is, and that's when we get Mary's adventures, which is where you pick up. Okay. At that moment, they heard a door slam.
1: Then feet came running along the passage. Mary came in with a rush, followed by Nob. He shut the door hastily and leaned against it. He was out of breath. They stared at him in alarm for a moment before he gasped. I have seen them, Frodo. I have seen them. Black Riders. Black Riders, cried Frodo. Where? Here, in the village. I stayed indoors for an hour. Then as you did not come back, I went out for a stroll. I had come back again and was standing just outside the light of the lamp, looking at the stars. Suddenly I shivered and felt that something horrible was creeping near. There was a sort of deeper shade among the shadows across the road, just beyond the edge of the lamplight. It slid away at once into the dark without a sound. There was no horse. Which way did it go? asked Strider, suddenly and sharply. Mary started, noticing the stranger for the first time. Go on, said Frodo. This is a friend of Gandalf's. I will explain later. It seemed to make off up the road, eastward, continued Mary. I tried to follow. Of course, it vanished almost at once. But I went round the corner and on as far as the last house on the road. Strider looked at Mary with wonder. You have a stout heart,
0: he said. But
1: it was foolish.
0: Yeah, that was definitely not the wisest thing Mary's done. But I have to say, this is a kind of a hat tip to the movie, uh, to to what Peter Jackson and his team did. They took lines like this and they used them, Mm. even if they didn't use them in the exact moment. But, you know, that's what Mm -hmm. he says to Sam when when Sam, like, you know, holds up the chair like he's going to hit him. (laughs) Right. I'll have you long shanks, right? right? That right. was the the line from Sam, and, yeah, yeah, in the film, and and I do like that right. they use lines from the book, even if they're <laughs> not using them in the exact same position or even the same character. Right?
1: Yeah they 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 did as it's much of touch. that as they could, it's which a was touch, cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: But let's talk about yeah. the content of what we just saw here. Yeah, I, I like that he's looking at the stars. I don't know. There's something we've talked always about stars being this sign of hope, and I know here it's just a subtle thing, but. Yeah. He's just looking at the stars and then you get it's, it's you know, you opposite. We're
1: contrasting this dark shadow that he sees with the stars. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, it's subtle, but I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think there's a contrast there. Yeah. I like, this is actually the first time that Mary has seen a black rider, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because he wasn't with, no, he wasn't with the, the three that the three is company. No, that's three. correct. So yeah, this is his first time seeing the black rider, the black riders, mm-hmm. which is, Kind of funny to me because he's going to end up getting more up close and personal with the ring rate than anybody. <laughs> yes, he
0: will. Yes, he will. I wonder if maybe that's why he wasn't quite afraid. You know, I think if had he been, Could be. had it been yeah. Pippin, and, you yeah. know, had he known what he knew from the road and through his company, maybe he wouldn't have followed him. Mm-hmm. But because there was no horse, as Mary says, there was no horse. Maybe that's why he decided to follow. Well, I got to see if there's a horse to see if this is a black rider. Because right now, it's just a black lump. Right. Maybe he didn't recognize it the way the others would have because they've experienced it. That could be. That may be. I also like his reaction when he, like, wait a minute, who are you? What are you doing here? He just kind of merely started. Yeah. 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 Frodo's quick reassurance. Don't worry about it. Friend of Gandalfs, let's go. No time for that now. Exactly. Just keep Keep telling telling the story. (laughs) Keep telling the story. Keep moving, Mary. Move it along. Don't be like Barlamin here. Interesting. He mentions, by the way, the last house on the road. Anybody know who lives there? Anybody? Anybody? Sean? Something, something Fernie. <laughs> Bill Fernie. Something. Yeah. Ill Fernie. B-I-L-L. Fernie. Marchese. Marchese. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah. So yeah. followed him that far. Exactly. Now Strider says that. Not was, a smart thing. No, not a smart thing. Yeah. Strider says it's brave, no. but foolish. But Mary didn't really
1: have much of a choice. Honestly. No, I know we're not going to read that, he but he says,
0: I could hardly yeah. help myself. I was drawn. Uh, so then he hears voices by the hedge, and then he falls over, mm-hmm. and he has no idea what happened. So that's when Nob fills in, tells the story about two men stooping over Mary, uh, who looked to be asleep. But Strider knows what it was that knocked him out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The black breath. Yeah. And this,
1: uh, I've got a little a brief sidebar on the black breath yeah. here. This isn't the last time that Mary is going to be stricken with the black breath, is No, it? it is not. He and many others in Minas Tirith are going to be sick from... This, uh, actually, a much more severe form of it later on after the Battle of the Pelinor Fields. Uh, in the chapter, The Houses of Healing, it's called either the Black Breath or the Black Shadow.
0: And again, it is Aragorn who correctly diagnoses the Black Shadow as Black Breath before treating it with Athalas. That's right. Before Aragorn came along and said what
1: this was, that chapter actually says of the healers of Minas Tirith, but now their art and knowledge were baffled, for there were many sick of a malady that would not be healed. And they called it the Black Shadow, for it came from the Nazgul, and those who were stricken with it fell slowly into an ever deeper dream, and then passed to silence and a deadly cold, and so died. Mm. And it seemed to the tenders of the sick that on the halfling and on the lady of Rohan this malady lay heavily. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it. I mean, many were sick from the black breath after the battle, including Faramir, right for one. But Mary and Eowyn had the worst case of it, not surprisingly, because of their
0: direct contact with the witch king. Yeah, well, killing him will do that to you. Uh, we yeah. see the effects of it after that battle in Mary's own point of view, as he's following the men carrying Theoden's body and the injured Eowyn back into Minas Tirith. And here's a quote from that. To Mary, the ascent seemed age-long, a meaningless journey in a hateful dream, going on and on to some dim ending that memory cannot seize. Slowly, the lights of the torches in front of him flickered and went out, and he was walking in a darkness, and he thought, this is a tunnel leading to a tomb. There we shall stay forever. But suddenly, into his dream, there fell a living voice. And that voice was Pippin's, and his, his presence, really, his friendship, is what helps lift the spell for Mary's eyes a little bit. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. very dangerous effect of contact with the ringwraiths, and what we see here in this chapter is just the tiniest taste of it. Yeah, yeah, just,
1: just the tiniest oh, taste of very, it. very,
0: just a prelude. Mary yeah.
1: just sort of brushes over it, you know, with this, an ugly dream, which I can't remember. Yeah. Good for him that he can't, because when we see it later on, yeah, it's, it's a very dark and bleak, mm-hmm. sad, you know, sad
0: dream, sad way of seeing the world. I can't even begin to imagine how disconcerting that would be, how disheartening. Yeah, it's just full of despair. It's De- just, just a great so despair, word, you know. That's a great word because of the, the contrast we've long set up between hope and despair. And how it mm-hmm. is indeed hope that is really the only way to defeat it, isn't it? I mean, Athelas, yeah. hope and Athelas, but you know, right. great stuff. <laughs> right, true. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up here uh, right after the Black Breath, and we're going to talk a little bit about how, uh, the, what the plans are now. The riders know everything. The riders must have left their horses outside and passed back through the South Gate in secret. They will know all the news now, for they have visited Bill Fernie, and probably that Southerner was a spy as well. Something may happen in the night before we leave Bree. What will happen? said Mary. Will they attack the inn? No, I think not, said Strider. They are not all here yet, and in any case that is not their way. In dark and loneliness they are strongest. They will not openly attack a house where there are lights and many people, not until they are desperate, not while all the long leagues of Eriador still lie before us. But their power is in terror, and already some in Bree are in their clutch. They will drive these wretches to some evil work. Fernie and some of the strangers, and maybe the gatekeeper, too. They had words with Harry at Westgate on Monday. I was watching them. He was white and shaking when they left him. We seem to have enemies all around, said Frodo. What are we to do? Stay here and do not go to your rooms. They are sure to have found out which those are. The Hobbit rooms have windows looking north and close to the ground. We will all remain together and bar this window and the door. I mean, this changes their plans. This radically changes their plans, knowing that the writers yeah. are aware. So thank goodness Mary got back in time, and thank goodness, believe it or mm-hmm. not, that Mary had this experience, as terrifying as it might Absolutely. have been. Absolutely, yeah.
1: It wasn't a very wise thing to do. He may not have had control over himself, but man, it's a good thing that he did. It, it. sure is.
0: Yeah. Uh, but we get another yeah. another explanation of of just what the power of the ring race is. It's not just brute physical force and strength. It is fear. Mm-hmm. It is terror. Uh, in dark and loneliness yeah. they are strongest. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense. Their life, their, if you want to even call it that, their air quote life <laughs> is nothing but dark and loneliness. Right. And, and terror. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is all they, they are. Embody all they embody dark know. and loneliness. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And poor Harry. Yeah. Poor Harry. I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a few times
1: yeah. now about how in early drafts he, you know, he was much more Clearly a conspirator. Yeah, yeah. Here, probably not. But Aragorn kind of still leaves it open, doesn't yeah. he? Maybe the gatekeeper,
0: too. And they, and they did have words Maybe not a conspirator in the same way as Fernie is, but like a, uh, you know, True. he's been... Yeah. He, he's been approached. He's been scared some, into yeah. giving some information, you know, whereas right. Fernie is happy yeah. to do it. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So the plan, of course, don't go to the Hobbit rooms. There are only a handful of those. They know where they are. You don't want to be there. hmm and we're not going to read this part, but Strider and Nob. I love this Strider, such a, a humble guy. What are you going to do? I'm going to go get your luggage. Nob and I are going to go take care of your bags. Yeah. Are you going to want a tip? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> probably a, partly a practical. It really thing. is. If, you don't if want the, the hobbits. If the to ring go
1: rates go are waiting for them at, in the room. Then yeah, Strider. They're... Yeah, you don't want to send Nob by
0: himself. <laughs> you Poor don't want guy? Nob out there alone. No. Yeah. No. He's already been terrified out of his wits by yeah, seeing the black riders uh, mm-hmm. hunched over the form of sleeping Mary there. Right. But Nob's such a smart guy. He ruffles up the clothes, puts the bolster in the bed. I love that he even does an imitation of your head with a brown woolen mat, Mr. Uh, Underhill, sir. (laughs) 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 It's great. That was great stuff. I like that. Absolutely.
1: Pippin, of course, notices the joke there. Oh, very lifelike. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it would look just like you, Frodo. That's
0: right. That's right. Goodness. But then I have you closing out the chapter, and we'll uh, we'll discuss that before moving on to the wonderful bag segment we got tonight. All right. Their bags and gear they piled on the parlor floor.
1: They pushed a low chair against the door and shut the window. Peering out, Frodo saw that the night was still clear. The sickle was swinging bright above the shoulders of Bree Hill. He then closed and barred the heavy inside shutters and drew the curtains together. Strider built up the fire and blew out all the candles. The hobbits lay down on their blankets with their feet towards the hearth, but Strider settled himself in the chair against the door. They talked for a little, for Mary still had several questions to ask. "'Jumps over the moon!' chuckled Mary as he rolled himself in his blanket. "'Very ridiculous of you, Frodo, but I wish I had been there to see. The worthies of Bree will be discussing it a hundred years hence.' "'I hope so,' said Strider. Then they all fell silent, and one by one the hobbits dropped off to sleep. There you go. Nighty-night, dear hobbits.
0: (laughs) Good night, Moon. Good night, Frodo. (laughs) Good night, Samwise.
1: (laughs) Good night, Mariadoc.
0: Oh, goodness. So just a a touch on the sickle, right? We've talked about this before. We know (laughs) from the Silmarillion that the sickle, also known as the plow or the Big Dipper, uh, that's actually called the Valakirka, the sickle of the Valar and sign of doom. Oh yeah, yeah, and and that's why
1: I think it's actually a really good thing that you brought up the hope. Yes, in Mary looking at the stars earlier, uh-huh. because the sickle itself, you know, back in that chapter in the Silmarillion, it it says that the sickle was set by Varda high in the north as a challenge to Melkor. That's Right. So you know, some of some of these stars are really, and specifically the sickle, are mm-hmm. reminders that the Valar are there. Yes, and that they're challenging evil. I think that's pretty cool that it's there. I
0: agree. So then we get the closing of the bar, the closing and barring of the shutters. I love Mary's little comment there. Yeah, very ridiculous, Frodo. <laughs> but I wish I had seen it. Yeah. yeah, that's great stuff.
1: And Strider's response, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's it's kind. It's one of those gut punch moments. Like it is.
0: It's a reminder that if if we're not successful in this mission, there uh-huh. won't be any worthies of Bree. There won't be. There, a there won't be a brie. Yeah. And they sure as heck yeah. won't be discussing the night that the one guy who had the chance to destroy the ring screwed the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he got by up getting on the table drunk and, and standing a on a table, this thing. Yeah. I know. Oh goodness, yeah.
2: great. It's Hopefully, great.
0: the worthies of Bree will be discussing this episode hundred years hence. For now, though, <laughs> be sure to come back next week when Fatty Bolger makes another appearance as we begin Chapter Eleven: A Knife in the Dark. Now, before we reach into Barloman's bag, and clearly
1: we can't trust that he's getting things uh-huh. to us in a timely fashion no. anymore, we want to remind – actually, you know, th- he's hes done a little better than three months for us, I have That's to say. That's true.
0: We do get things a little quicker <laughs> than three months, but you – know. A little quicker. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But before that, we want to remind you about the fellowship of the podcast. As you know by now, our Discord server is up and running. Mm-hmm. Each month, our patrons get to listen to our goofs and our gaffes, our edits and our outtakes. <laughs> edits and outtakes. And there have
0: been a few of those. Yes, there have. Uh, not to mention getting a sneak peek at an episode weeks before everyone else. In fact, several of our supporters are listening to us right this moment, as today is this month's <laughs> Discord episode. But in order to keep that deep embarrassment amongst friends, the server is limited to patrons at the gift of Gondor level or higher. So if you want to listen in live during an episode recording, be sure to check out patreon.com prancingponypod, where you can also get access to other exclusive content and PPP swag. Check out our next goal, too. We're almost certain to have reached it by the time this airs, of setting up a monthly live hangout session with us on
1: Discord. And if you're looking for a new Tolkien book, check out the official library pages at our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where we've put together a set of links for our listeners to all the books we've ever mentioned on the show, Tolkien or otherwise. And if you wouldn't mind posting a review for us on iTunes, we'd be grateful. That increases our visibility, which means more new listeners, more great questions for Barlamin,
0: more discussion on social media, and a livelier Tolkien community. Absolutely. Now, speaking of social media, it is also helpful if you share us. Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever there happen to be Tolkien fans. Uh, Please let them know about us. Now, with that, it is time to see what old Barnum has in the mailbag for us.
1: Okay, well, I want to start with a comment from our old friend Stephen Jay in the Netherlands. He's enlightened us to a lot of really cool Dutch word nerdery in the past, and Mm. today is no exception. Yes, he has. Yeah. Back in episode 120, we talked about some of Tom Bombadil's well, let's call them not-so-flattering names for Mary's praise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And one of one of actually the – one of the better ones actually was wise nose. Well, Stefan wrote to us on Facebook to let us know that the Dutch cognate of that word, which is I think pronounced wiesnus, means a know-it-all in Dutch.
0: <laughs> I love that. Isn't that That cool? is awesome. Well, thanks for that, Stefan. Appreciate that because, of course, our Dutch is rusty. quite a bit yeah (laughs) and by rusty i mean like there is none of it just just so you know yeah Uh, and, and now we've got a question from one of our patrons maya in michigan maya asked at the prancing pony when aragorn draws his sword and tells frodo that if i wanted the ring i could have it now do you think for a brief moment aragorn was actually tempted to claim it for himself for greed or for desire to use it for good
1: well, That's a good question. We've talked about this a little bit already and it, it certainly is a powerful moment uh-huh. and we talked about Coker's comments on it. To go a little deeper into the language he uses, I don't think Aragorn saying I could have it now is necessarily a sign that he's being tempted at that moment. I kind of think that by the time he speaks he's already thought about it and he's already moved past the temptation. When he says if I was after the ring I could have it now, he's speaking mm. firmly in the conditional mood. Now, it's sorry for going grammar nerd What sort of mood you, are you in? I'm in a conditional <laughs> I'm mood. I'm in a conditional mood today.
0: What um, in the world? Just,
1: no. <laughs> forgive me sorry. for telling, to- yeah, forgive the total grammar nerdery here, but uh, your high okay. school English teacher would have called this the counterfactual conditional. It's basically uh, yes. saying what would happen if some condition were true, but that condition isn't true. It's counterfactual, contrary right. to fact. Yeah. Now, if Strider was after the ring, he could have it now, but he's not after it, which is demonstrated by the fact that he hasn't taken it already. Uh-huh. And I noticed that this comment of his is parallel to another statement that's in the conditional mood, responding to Sam's accusation that he might be an imposter who had killed the real Strider. He says, if I had killed the real Strider, I could kill you. Now, both of those conditions, A, that he killed the real Strider, and B, that he wants the ring, are not true. And I think Aragorn is just using them hmm. to sort of support each other in making his case for the hobbits to trust him. Okay. But... I'll admit he does say it in a very menacing way, but I think yeah. that our discussion last time helps us understand a little bit of why. Sure. What do
0: you think? Some might say this is more of a shock tactic. Now, that's a phrase we're borrowing from, uh, from Paul Coker. He used that in the chapter on Aragorn that we discussed last week and mentioned again earlier tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is more of that shock tactic to teach the hobbits a lesson in being more careful, if that's the, the way you go on this. He's trying to show them that anyone, even a friend of Gandalf who's been sent to protect them, Anyone could be tempted by the ring and might try to take it from them and turn on them quickly. So they need to be more careful. Yeah, I agree with all that. But I, I mean,
1: I think when he says I could have it now, I think he's really just going for shock tactics there. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I think it's really all about the shock tactics at this point. I don't think he's actually having that moment of temptation right then and there. I think he's had it, but I don't think he's hmm. having it then.
0: Interesting. Well, you know, I, I might actually for once disagree with you a little bit, uh, but let oh, me explain. How dare you? I know. How dare you, sir? Oh, it's fun. No, I like it. (laughs) This feels good. I'm I'm, (laughs) going to, (laughs) I'm, just wait now. (laughs) No. First, as as Coker says, and this is a quote from Master Middle Earth like every other leader of the West, he is given one fateful chance to yield to its temptation, but he conquers it and is never bothered by it again. Well, when is that one fateful chance? I think it is now, but here's the twist I think he goes into this moment fully knowing that he's facing temptation and fully knowing that he is also prepared to overcome that temptation. So, yeah, he makes that Mm. counterfactual conditional statement that you talked about. But then we see him seem to grow taller in his eyes, gleamed a light, keen and commanding, throwing back his cloak. He laid his hand on the hilt of a sword that had hung concealed by his side. They did not dare to move. I think in that very moment, he is being tempted. But I think a few other things are true, and these are important. One, he knew that he would face this temptation at some point. Sometime during his involvement with Frodo, he's going to face this temptation. He knew that even before any of this started. So number two, he's prepared to face and defeat that temptation. And that's why number three, I think, he chose this moment, a moment under his control, to face and defeat the temptation. With number four, the purpose of demonstrating his trustworthiness to the hobbits. That's what I think is going on there. Did did he know he'd never be tempted again if he beat it once? I, I don't know. I mean, Coker says he defeated it and it never bothered him again. I don't think Aragorn knew that. He couldn't but, have known that at the time, right? No, yeah. but certainly we see it later on. In the Council of Elrond, Frodo says, when he finds out the lineage of Aragorn, well, it belongs to you and not to me at all. Aragorn immediately responds by saying, he doesn't say, uh, yeah, but you hold on to it. He says... It does not belong to either of us, but it has been ordained that you should hold it for a while. He's totally unfazed by Frodo's offer or attempt to unload the ring. I guess <laughs> he's like, I don't want this thing. Oh yeah, pass that hot potato. Yeah, exactly, hot potato. <laughs> that, but
1: yeah, that's, that's where, I'm, where I'm landing. That's interesting. I mean, you do make a good case there. So you're saying that he makes that statement. But he's still tempted in that next moment, but it's sort oh, yeah. of a, a controlled situation. He's willingly walking into the mm. temptation because he's more prepared for it. And that all that stuff that happens in that intervening paragraph where he grows taller and his, his right. eyes gleam and everything, that that is actually That's the him fighting happening. it. Yes, yeah, that's I, him fighting
0: the temptation.
1: Whereas I said that he had already thought about it, he'd already been tempted and he'd already been moved past uh-huh. it. That's, that's Which may also
0: be true. That may also well, be true in the sense that he may have considered it, but there's no temptation without the actual ability. I mean, if I'm yeah. tempted, let's think of a terrible thing. If I'm tempted to lie on my taxes, but it's September, then I have plenty, <laughs> I, I'm not really facing a very you, real temptation. You've got I.
1: plenty of time to get past you know that what I mean? before
0: it actually, yeah, right. No, I, right.
1: I, I do see what you're saying. And I think for that, for that reason, yeah, I think yours is a bit more exciting, isn't it? Because the temptation is happening right here at this moment and right at the moment yeah, immediate peril. And I guess maybe that's why I thought, thought still kind of think, I don't know, kind of on the fence now. Why I think differently because (laughs) again, I don't I I don't really see any immediate peril here, but that could just be because again, I've read this so many times. I know what happens.
0: And I think the peril is minimized because he's aware of it. He's this is not like, and and I think we want to maybe riff on this a little bit, talk about how this interacts with a couple of other characters. Mm -hmm. He knows that he's going to face this moment, and so he is prepared and he walks in and actually triggers this moment, so to speak. He walks directly Mm. into the face of temptation and basically says, I'm here. I'm going to
1: trigger it now because I feel like right. I'm in control of myself right I'm now. I'm in control. That's because that's really knows. cool, and I
0: like that. Yeah, yeah. He's ready for it. He's ready to face it, and figures I'm going to face this now, and that's going to strengthen my position and help me to not be tempted again. Yeah, even if he yeah. doesn't know that he'll never be tempted again. So
1: one more but let's thing compare about that, that to a couple others. Well, yeah. one more thing on that, and and then I definitely want to take a look at a couple of other passages. But yeah, I think one thing that we're both saying. Is that he has thought about this moment. He has prepared for oh, this yes. moment, and that yeah. that forethought and that preparation and that self control helps him get past the temptation very quickly whenever it comes, whether it uh-huh. came now or whether it came, you know, a couple of hours ago or a couple of days ago. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do really want to compare this to a couple of those other moments in temptation, and I think you've got yeah, uh, you've got the Galadriel one, one, right?
0: I've got I've pulled Galadriel, and I'm going to let you take, take Gandalf. So I'm going to go—this uh, is later on in the chapter, The Mirror of Galadriel, which is chapter seven of book two. So we'll get there a very long time from now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe about a year. Sometime
0: yeah. in maybe February or March of next year, I'm thinking. I don't yeah. know. Maybe April. So there, Frodo and Sam and Galadriel are at the mirror, and Galadriel has just said that she wished the One Ring had never been made. So Frodo's response— You are wise and fearless and fair, Lady Galadriel, said Frodo. I will give you the one ring if you ask for it. It is too great a matter for me. Galadriel laughed with a sudden clear laugh. Wise the Lady Galadriel may be, she said. Yet here she has met her match in courtesy. Gently are you revenged for my testing of your heart at our first meeting. You begin to see with a keen eye. I do not deny that my heart has greatly desired to ask what you offer. For many long years I had pondered what I might do, should the great ring come into my hands, and behold, it was brought within my grasp. The evil that was devised long ago works on in many ways, whether Sauron himself stands or falls. Would not that have been a noble deed to set to the credit of his ring if I had taken it by force or fear from my guest? And now at last it comes. You will give me the ring freely. In place of the Dark Lord you will set up a queen, and I shall not be dark. But beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night, fair as the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain, dreadful as the storm and the lightning, stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me in despair. She lifted up her hand, and from the ring that she wore there issued a great light that illumined her alone and left all else dark. She stood before Frodo, seeming now tall beyond measurement and beautiful beyond enduring, terrible and worshipful. Then she let her hand fall, and the light faded, and suddenly she laughed again, and lo, she was shrunken, a slender elf woman, clad in simple white, whose gentle voice was soft and sad. I pass the test, she said. I will diminish and go into the west and remain Galadriel. So, I think there we see this being much more tempting that to her. That is a moment much. of temptation. And I think that's real what, temptation. She comes awfully close, I
1: think. Yeah, she really does. And I think that's what kind of led me down the path of thinking, you know, Aragorn's really not tempted because this is not a moment like that. But it could no. just be that he's better prepared for it. Yeah. Maybe he knows his uh, his own weakness a bit better. Obviously, uh-huh. you know, being yeah. a Sildurs heir, being a man and a Sildurs heir, right? Yeah. So that's that's. And really I think he knew.
0: He knew the minute that he talked with Gandalf that the ring was going to be in his immediate vicinity. Yeah, yeah. So he's I been don't think Galadriel knew until they were there, mm-hmm. right? Until until they arrived, and she knew immediately this was the mm-hmm. ring bearer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think she knew that it was going to necessarily come to her. And and look, let's
1: face it. We know that Galadriel's one of the Noldor, one of the original yeah. Noldor who were exiled. We know that she was one of the more O G Noldor, <laughs> exactly. O G <laughs> original Galadriel. She was one of the more <laughs> well she was done. one of the more ambitious ones, right? She was yeah. one of the ones who. Oh, yeah. She wanted. She wanted lands and realms of her own. She, she was going to leave
0: like... even if Feanor hadn't put them all into exile. <laughs> right? Yeah, She, she was, was ready she was to thinking, go.
1: She was definitely thinking about going, and so yeah, I mm-hmm. um. I think that's really very interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's a much stronger temptation because she's less prepared for it. Yeah. And she didn't choose this moment.
1: And that's fascinating to think that Aragorn could be better prepared for anything than Galadriel could. But yeah. Yeah, it is a little odd. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you've got a Gandalf moment. I've got
1: a Gandalf moment. And this is going all the way back to the shadow of the past, which we have already been through on the podcast. Uh, But this is the moment where, you know, they're, they're talking about it and- uh, Gandalf has just, you know, Frodo is a little nervous about the quest and, and Gandalf has just told him that just a you, little, know, yeah. you have to use the strength and heart and wits that you have. And I'll right. pick up there with Frodo saying, but I have so little of any of these things. You are wise and powerful. Will you not take the ring? No, cried Gandalf, springing to his feet with that power, I should have power too great and terrible. And over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity. Pity for weakness and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe, unused. The wish to wield it would be too great for my strength. I shall have such need of it. Great perils lie before me. He went to the window and drew aside the curtains and the shutters. Sunlight streamed back again into the room. Sam passed along the path outside whistling. And now, said the wizard turning back to Frodo, the decision lies with you, but I will always help you. He laid his hand on Frodo's shoulder. I will help you bear this burden as long as it is yours to bear. But we must do something soon. The enemy is
0: moving. Very good. And I just wanted to read that yeah. second
1: paragraph because it really shows the change
0: from the It temptation does, it? To, It's the successful defeat. Yes, of the exactly. Temptation. Yeah. Yeah. The sunlight streaming and mm-hmm. yeah. You know, one thing I noticed in both of these, even though they're both taken a little bit by surprise, that is they're not walking voluntarily into the temptation the way I think Aragorn is. both of them have clearly thought about the possibility of this happening. Mm-hmm. Galadriel talks about how she has literally thought about it. You know, I I have considered this. What yeah. would happen if the one ring were to come into my possession? Yeah, yeah, And Gandalf doesn't say that, but he says specifically what would happen. He knows, and he knows because he's thought about this. Absolutely. I can't take this ring because I would have power too great and terrible. It would gain a power still greater and deadly. Mm-hmm. I'd become like the Dark Lord himself. So he knows. So he's prepared, but he, he wasn't ready to face that temptation this particular moment. He still defeated it. He still overcame it. And like Coker says... All these people in the West are given. They're a given moment this of temptation,
1: moment. yeah, yeah.
0: And how they handle it is is what tells the difference. It
1: says a lot about their character the way they each handle it. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf, yeah, does have a moment of temptation, uh, not as severe yeah.
0: as Galadriel's, it seems. No, no, not quite as severe. But definitely, maybe uh, because he's not an oldo. <laughs> could be. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said about that. You're right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, he is as an Ainu, his will should be stronger to begin it with, even be. though absolutely. he's incarnate. Yeah, but yeah. That's really cool. And I, and I think, I don't know, you've made a good case there. There definitely is a temptation good. going on in Aragorn somewhere, whether it's now or yeah. whether it was a little while ago. Maybe it doesn't even really matter that much. The fact is that Aragorn no. is finally face to face with the ring and he makes yeah. the right
0: choice. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. And we'll get to see some more people tempted by it later, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't help but think of Boromir and Faramir. Of course. Yeah. And their different responses. But that's like a whole episode. So we'll uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'll move on to the next question. I think we've got just enough time for one more fairly short one. Yeah. Tom G. asked us, I was interested in your take on Aragorn carrying around a broken Narsil. Basically, Tom is asking, did he carry it around with him all the time? Tom says, I believe that it was more likely stashed away in a safe location and that at the Mm -hmm. time Aragorn met the hobbits in Bree, it was only recently unearthed. In his youth, Aragorn ranged all about Middle-earth, even fighting under the name of Thorongil in the armies of Gondor and Rohan. If he was carrying Narsil around all that time, I'm sure there would have been talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Uh, Another little
0: speculation question. What do you think, Alan? Why don't you start? Well, when I carry a bottle of Narsil around, there's always talk. (laughs) People wonder why I use Narsil. Talk to your doctor about (laughs) Narsil. No, sorry had To go there, we joked about that a few, yes, a few have. other things, right? It was Narmakill, it was Narmakill, and there was another. Recently. There was
1: at least one other one, I think. There
0: was one other one because that's what started the yeah. whole thing. But yeah. Yeah. ask your in doctor anyway, if
1: Narsil is right for you. Oh, it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh Narathal, well, Narathal, that's right, Firefoot, yeah. that's right. Ask your doctor if Narsil is right for you. Side effects may include broken sword,
0: <laughs> shards right. in the fingers. All right, sorry, Let's there go. you go. So what do I think about this? I, I, I think Aragorn certainly must have had another sword that he used while he was off yeah, ranging. Yeah. How effective is a, a, a sword that's broken at 12 inches off the hilt? He did a lot of fighting for all those years, and, and clearly he's not fighting with a broken sword. We saw in this chapter his broken sword is not much use, the text says. Well, yeah, 12 inches long, uh, broken blade, no help. Not going to be very useful, yeah. No. One of Tolkien's many negative comments on the infamous Zimmerman script uh, was that at Weathertop, Zimmerman had Strider whip out a sword, to which Tolkien responded, Strider does not whip out a sword in the book. Naturally not. His sword was broken. Right. Now, clearly, Tolkien didn't want us to get the impression that Strider fights with a broken narsal. So he must have used a more functional sword when fighting. Probably nothing special, but just whatever was handy as Gill. he probably would have used ordinary weapons from the armories of Rohan or Gondor. Yeah, yeah. Maybe for his ranging in Eriador he uses a weapon from the Rivendell armory or maybe the Dunedain have their own armory somewhere I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that
1: is reasonable. I think we should yeah. point out that contrary to what we see from you know in the Peter Jackson movies, you know there's that gorgeous scene with the shards oh, of Narsil yeah. on the pedestal at Rivendell. You know oh, in the book yeah. Elrond did actually give the shards to Aragorn a long time ago when he came of age. Oh, yeah. So he has had him... 62 years he ago, He has yeah. had them in his possession for most of his life, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's in Appendix A5 when Estel, Hope, uh, Aragorn, was 20 years old. Elrond told him his true name and delivered to him the heirlooms of his house, saying, Here is the ring of Barahir, he said, the token of our kinship from afar. And here also are the shards of Narsil. With these you may yet do great deeds, for I foretell that the span of your life shall be greater than the measure of men, unless evil befalls you, or you fail at the test. But the test will be hard and long. The scepter of a numinous I withhold, for you have yet to earn it. I love that. Here you go. You
1: can, you can, you can have, have this ring. You can have this broken sword, but you can't have the scepter.
0: I was, I was trying to think of, like, your kids going off to college, and you give them, here's your computer, here's your backpack, you can't have the car, though.
1: You can't have the car, you, for you have yet to <laughs> You haven't to earned it. it yet. Yeah.
0: Yes. Anyway. Now, admittedly, we don't know whether he kept the shards on his person at all times. That seems a little impractical, uh, or whether he just kept them somewhere safe. But they were at least in his possession from that day on.
1: Yeah, and, and I I agree. I think it would be pretty impractical to carry the shards with him all the time. I, I tend to think that when he's traveling, uh, he's not going to carry this family heirloom no. with him. I mean, if I'm going off to war and I may not come back, I'm probably not going to bring— a priceless and irreplaceable family heirloom with me. And useless, I would add, and, and useless, right? I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. as a ranger, stealth and speed are important to him, and, and he's not going to weigh himself right. down with an extra sword and a bag that of metal bits, use.
0: making yeah. a bag of metal bits making all that sound. Yeah, that's all true that, too. What's that rattling racket? Right, oh, it's just, the shards it's just a of broken sword. It's
1: extra weight that he can't use. It's something yeah. that he really would not want to lose. And as no. Tom suggests, you know, the appearance of a mysterious guy with a northern accent and a broken blade. Yeah, that'd probably get people talking. Yeah, that would. That would. would. So I think he did keep it somewhere safe. I don't know where, maybe somewhere in the angle where we know the Dunedain had, well, as close to a permanent settlement as they had Mm, by this mm -hmm. time. I mean, I guess that does beg the question of why he's carrying Narsil with him now. But, you know, for one thing, certainly he has come to Bree to meet Frodo. He might want to have the shards of Narsil as proof of his identity. Uh, I know he didn't know anything about what was in Gandalf's letter, but maybe he has some idea that. You know, his his identity might come into question. The hobbits might be told something about the poem, especially since remember the poem was written by Bilbo, and so it's you know it's proof of the fact that he knows
0: Bilbo as well, which is which would be another point in his favor as somebody they can trust. I hadn't thought about that, but I was thinking more. You know, he knows that Frodo's begun the quest, so he knows that the time is coming for Narsil to be reforged. Yeah, we just heard him say Mm -hmm. the time is near when it should be forged anew. Mm -hmm. Well, if he had it stashed away somewhere, he probably had to go retrieve it before meeting Frodo so that he'll have it with him when they get to Rivendell, where it can be reforged. Right, Um, yeah. This kind of helps explain why he isn't carrying any other sword in addition to Narsil right now. He's not expecting to encounter any enemies until he gets to Rivendell, except for Black Riders, and he knows he can't fight them with a sword anyway. Right, yeah. And then once he gets the sword reforged, he's not going to need another sword, so why have another one with him now? Yeah, and I think that probably really is the
1: most likely reason, I think, that he has Narsil on him now and no other weapon, so yeah. Yeah.
0: I agree. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Please be sure to join us again next week when guests are unable to sleep in their beds and good bolsters ruined and all. What are we coming to? Folks, thanks (laughs) again for listening and
1: thank you for making our common room on Facebook such a fun place to spend time. We want all of you to be a part of this conversation and it doesn't stop when the episode ends. See the comments, questions, corrections, and more on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and on Instagram
0: at PrancingPonyPod. And a very special thank you to our patrons at the Keerdance Dance Contribution Tier, Demay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, and Chad in Texas. Thank you all very much. Make sure you don't miss any episodes of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing, as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and most of all, your wilderness camping advice for Weathertop to Barnabin at the Podcast.com And, well, we'll try to get him into our next show. Well, however long we've had, it is still far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends.